Well, good morning, church, and welcome to service on Sunday, July 25th. Um, it has uh, been a little different circumstance, as you know, uh, getting to this service today. As many of you are probably aware by now, uh, if you normally attend with us in person, you're, of course, aware of this. Uh, this past week, we had Vacation Bible School, and um, I'm recording this on Saturday the 24th. I learned about 2 o'clock this afternoon uh, that one of our adults who was with us all week in Bible School uh, tested positive this morning for COVID. This person was exposed apparently last weekend, but did not learn of the exposure till later in the week. Mild symptoms have occurred later in the week. And so uh, out of an abundance of caution, we decided to make this Sunday a podcast Sunday. I know none of us wanted to do that, but hey, it's just how it happens. To give you a quick rundown on this, the reasons that we, our leadership here, decided to do it this way, uh, we're not going to be doing this very much. We're at the point where I think, you know, if you're either going to get vaccinated or you're not, you're either going to get out with folks or you're not. We know the risks at this point. We're making informed decisions and we're not going to make a habit of this. We're kind of moving on. However, this was a bit unique for two reasons. Um, first of all, uh, Bible school has been our most lengthy um, experience together since COVID hit, as well as a little bit more of an unguarded experience. We've had a lot of people in and out of the church this week. Um, and so uh, just because of that, um, it's been obviously our, one of our larger gatherings since COVID hit. And so we were felt a little bit uneasy because of that. So many people coming and going and potential exposures uh, that we might not know about yet. And so that leads us to our second reason. The deacons and I felt like since we found out at two o'clock today and we'd be at church bright and early tomorrow morning, there just wasn't enough time to make sure that if others are going to develop symptoms for us to know. Um, obviously, exposure has happened. We just don't know if anything's going to come of it. And so out of an abundance of caution, we decided to do this. I'm going to tell you again, I enjoyed Bible school. I don't regret it one bit. I'm so glad everybody who came was there. And uh, this is just one of those things. As we return to normal, whatever that may look like, um, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. We're going to make informed decisions. We're going to gather. We're going to keep moving forward. We're not going to run from this. But just because of the uniqueness of the circumstances, that is why we decided to approach it with caution. If a few things had been slightly different, we would probably have rolled on. And we are planning to roll on next Sunday and, and move on from there. Okay, so thank you for joining us, whether you would normally be at church in person or you're joining us from somewhere else around the world. Thank you for joining us by podcast today. We have two questions left in our series as we're exploring the questions that Jesus asked, and we have two more left this week and next week. So for this week, if you'll please take your Bible and turn with me to the 21st chapter, very last chapter of the book of John, uh, John chapter 21, and when you get there, be finding verse 15. I think this is one of the more penetrating questions that we ever heard Jesus ask. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, we looked at that famous, probably the most famous of all his questions, who do you say I am? And I don't know that it gets more potent than that, but this one today is penetrating. Our question for today is, do you love me? Man, that, that just gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Literally, to the heart of it. it. It asks us to look deep inside, to get introspective, to evaluate not just our actions, but our motives, How, and, and not just our actions, but our thoughts and our feelings, even our emotions. Do you love me? Well, love is an affection, an emotion there. Love is an action. Uh, love is even a mental 
action. And so Jesus is asking us to look deep inside today. Uh, many of you will be familiar with the story. Uh, we're in John chapter 21. As the chapter opens, we're told uh, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, he has been crucified, put in the tomb. He has burst back to life. And he wasn't with his disciples constantly in that 40 some odd days between his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. He would appear and then he would not and he would be in and out, so to speak. We really don't know, for the most part, what the Lord was up to during that time. Well, we're told in John chapter 21 that this is another time that Jesus manifested himself to the disciples after his resurrection. It happens, we're told, at the Sea of Tiberias, better known to you and I as the Sea of Galilee, the same place, okay? Well, the, the disciples are tired of waiting for Jesus in these pop-in-and-out appearances, and so Simon Peter says, hey, you know what? I'm going fishing. Now, that was a natural thing for him to do because he was a fisherman by trade, as were others in the group, several of them. A full one-third of the disciples, at least, were professional fishermen prior to their call. And so he says, we're going fishing. Now, I've heard people say, and preach even, this means Peter's tired of waiting and he's going back to his former way of life. I don't believe that. I believe this is simply Peter saying, I'm bored, I'm tired of waiting on the Lord, let's go fishing. So they all say, well, Pete, we're going with you, okay? Well, they go out, they fish all night long, and as it would have with one-third of the crew, professional fishermen, they don't catch a thing. Not a thing. They don't, they don't even so much as put a minnow in a net. I mean, they don't catch anything. Now, if you like fishing, then you know that when you've gone and you've been out there all day and you've sweated and you've toiled and you've fished and you're smelly and, and you come home, the last thing you want to hear is for that smarty person to say, hey, what'd you catch? And you have to eat your crow and say, nothing. Well, the next morning, day is breaking, we're told in John 21 verse 4, Jesus stands on the beach a good ways away from their fishing boat, but they don't recognize yet that it's Jesus. And so Jesus lifts, I can imagine Jesus kind of lifting his head and cupping his hands to his mouth and shouting out across the water, children, do you have any fish? Or better yet in the translation, children, you don't have any fish, do you? Almost toying with them. And they answer, no. Okay. Now, if you enjoy fishing, the one thing worse than being asked if you've caught anything when you haven't is being told how you should have caught something. And so then Jesus says in verse 6, well, why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat and you're going to find a catch? I can only imagine the frustration in the disciples at this point. Okay. They don't know it's Jesus yet. They haven't recognized that. And so for whatever reason, be it just pure entertainment value, they drop the net over and guess what happens. They haul in a catch that they couldn't even get into the boat. And understand, they're pulling that net over the side of the boat. That's how it was done on the Sea of Galilee back in those days in those small fishing vessels. Okay, They can't even get it over the edge, not with all of them pushing. And I'm sure others had to be on the other side of the boat so that it wouldn't topple over. And so they can't even get it in. Well, immediately, of course, John recognizes, this is recorded in verse 7, it's the Lord. He realizes it's Jesus. Well, Peter, who is, of course, stripped down for work, he throws himself into the water and swims to land. Peter's so impetuous and bold to meet Jesus. And while he's still swimming to get there, the other disciples, still dragging the net, we're told, because they can't get it in the boat, they drag the net to the shore. 
And there, Jesus has a charcoal fire going. He's already got some fish on it. And he, they bring some more fish. They cook it. And there they have breakfast on the beach with Jesus. What a sweet time it must have been. Well, once this all starts, once he invites them to breakfast and they sit down and eat, they finish breakfast, and that is where we pick up the story. So John chapter 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now there's the whole group, but he turns his eyes and his attention to Peter. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter with an audience, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And really, we don't know, does it mean these as in the fish and that way of life, these as in the disciples, but do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he, he being Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, we get the picture here. They get up, they begin moving away from the crowd of disciples. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them. The one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? John is being careful to identify himself without using his name. So Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. What a penetrating conversation between the two. Now, they had a lot of um, uh, amazing interchanges, Jesus and Simon Peter. They had this unique connection, those two did. And so often we can learn a lot about the Lord, His intentions, ourselves, everything, just by kind of, you know, listening in and putting ourselves in Peter's shoes. I don't think they ever had a more intimate interchange than this. And that question Three times he repeats it. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Would you allow him to ask you that question today? Not do you follow me? Not do you go to church? Not do you read your Bible? Not do you do good things? Do you love me? How many relationships in our lives have been brought to that point a time or two? With your children? Do you love me? With your spouse, do you love me? With your parents, do you love me? That person across the street, do you love me? And here today, the Lord, do you love me? I'm going to give you three lessons today, so important and so penetrating this question. First lesson, love defines our relationship with Jesus. 
Okay, now there's a lot of defining characteristics. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to, to make a mountain out of a molehill, but I, I'm going to say love defines our relationship with Jesus. Now, there are a lot of other characteristics, a lot of other traits that go into our relationship with Him, but we cannot have that relationship as it is meant to be, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ without love between us. Love defines our relationship with Jesus. Let's go back and see how we see it. I know you've already seen it, but let's revisit, okay? So back to verse 15. He asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And again, does he mean by these, the fish and that life? Does he mean these, the disciples? He's calling upon Peter's heartfelt love. By the way, Jesus knew that love was there, but he's ready to make a point. And we're going to see it in just a second, okay? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Simon, again, the second time, do you love me? Lord, you know I do. Simon, the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know I love you. What's the point? And by the way, why in verse 17 was Peter grieved because he said to them, or excuse me, because he said to him the third time? We, I think we all know why. What else happened three times only recently, a little a month, within a month ago in Peter's life? You know. Before the rooster crows three times, Peter, you will deny me. Lord, it'll never happen. And of course, it did. And Peter wept bitterly. He repented. It was a watershed moment in Peter's life. It was amazingly sinful and regrettable. And yet, it was transformational for Peter. He had to go through that to be the rock Jesus meant for him to be. Well, at this point, Jesus is still building him up. He is centering Peter again, and he is doing so as the leader of this group of men that are joining them right there for this private conversation. Okay, sometimes that has to happen. So he asks him three times to bring together. I bet Peter in the back of his mind still hears the rooster crowing. Do you love me? Are you sure? Do you love me? Do you mean it? Do you love me? Really? He's calling upon him to really confront what has happened and be centered in love. And that's because love defines our relationship. Notice, he did not ask Peter, Peter, do you believe in me? Peter, uh, would you preach for me? Peter, would you serve me? He didn't ask him that. If he's going to center his relationship, he asks him, do you love me? And because of his failure, that caused Peter to grieve. And if I can be really honest with you, there are times in my life it causes me to grieve. I am well in touch with my sin and my failures, and I'm not going to pretend. There are times I've cried over it. Here I am professing to love Jesus, but not living with him and walking with him and representing him the way that I should. It should cause us to evaluate. It should cause us to inspect. I know it did Peter that day. His question to me and his question to you, do you love me? You know, love is that premium in Scripture. Always is. I mean, we're even told God is love, right? But I think the question really comes home when you start looking at that commandment of all commandments. What did Jesus say is the greatest commandment of all? 
I'll take you back to Mark chapter 12. You can turn there sometime if you want to follow through. And we're going to look at verses 28 through 31. One of the scribes comes to Jesus and, and, and here's arguing. And he recognizes that Jesus answers them well. And so he asks him this baited question. What commandment, Jesus, is the foremost or the greatest of all? And in verse 29, Jesus answers, the foremost is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is joined to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater. Of course, the man says, well, you've answered well. It impresses people. And Jesus is right. Love is the heart of both the Old and the New Testament. Love is the heart of God. Love is at the very action of Jesus from start to finish. Our relationship with Jesus isn't what it's supposed to be without love. Love defines that relationship. And by the way, aren't you glad? What are the alternatives? What else could define our relationship? Service. Well, we're going to talk about service today. It's big. Yeah. Habit. Well, good habits are great. Uh, there's a lot of stuff we could use to define our relationship, right? Going to church, reading my Bible, doing good things. Those are great. We should, but that can't define it. What motivates all that? It's got to be something deeper than the actions themselves. It's love. In fact, I'm going to tell you in a few moments that without love, it's not deep enough. It's not whole enough, and it's not able to sustain us. Love defines that relationship. And I got to be honest, that is so easy for us to overlook. And when we're confronted with a penetrating question like this, it is so easy for us to, to redefine, if you will, to misplace or misassign blame. You know, sometimes we think about our relationship with Jesus and whether we are what we've been called to be or, or, or it's what it, that relationship is what it can be. And we don't really want to get to the heart of the matter because it's too tough. It's too close to home. Maybe it's too embarrassing, too life changing for our taste at the moment. We want to say, well, I'm not telling everybody about Jesus because I have a speaking problem. Well, maybe you are shy. Maybe speaking's not your thing. Hey, I know we're Americans second on the list of our greatest fears. Right behind death is public speaking. I get it. But let's just really put this where it needs to be. If I won't talk for Jesus, my biggest problem is not that I have a speaking problem. I have a love problem. I guarantee you I talk up the things I love. I love my family. I talk them up. I love football. I talk it up. We talk up the things we love, bashful or not. You know, sometimes we say, well, I don't have time. I, I just have a time problem. Man, I'd, I'd do better for Jesus. I'd walk closer for Jesus. But man, I just don't manage my time. Well, I have a time problem. Well, maybe you do. But at the heart of it all, it's not really a time problem. It's a love problem. I make time for the things I love. And I bet you do, too. They're your priorities. Don't call it a time problem. Call it what it is. It's a love problem. We say, well, my resources. I have problems with my resources. Well, maybe you do. I don't think any of us have all the resources we could ever want or need. But at the heart of it all, it's not a resource problem. It's a love problem. I bet you I spend. I bet you I do. I, you, you know where I'm going with this. I invest my resources, things I want to invest them in. 
time, money, uh, my heart, my, my intellect. I will invest my resources some way or another. If I'm choosing to not invest them in my relationship with Jesus and my efforts for his kingdom, yeah, maybe there's a resource problem, but better yet, there's a love problem. We love to reassign the blame and, and, and label it, don't we? Jesus is not allowing Peter or us that option. Do you love me? That is the question. He's not asking to insult us or make us feel bad. He's asking so that we get the center and the heart of it all. If we are to walk with him, as we can and should, love. How do you do that? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I do have a love problem. Well, I pray and I draw close. I study his word and just get my fill of it. I worship him. I force myself to get uncomfortable in those areas where I would maybe have a love problem. I do what is necessary to cultivate love in my relationship with Jesus because love defines it. The second lesson we see from this conversation, love empowers our service for Jesus. A moment ago, I said we get back to service and we will. How is it that we show our love? Okay. Now, we might say, well, I can show love in a lot of ways, and that's true, but there is one way throughout the New Testament that is called upon for us to show love, and it comes up right here. So go back to verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, he asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. How does Jesus respond? Tend my lambs. Okay. Next verse, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Uh, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And what does he say? Shepherd my sheep. Next verse, verse 17, the third time he says it, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is grieved and he answers, Lord, you know all things, even my heart. You know I love you. And what does Jesus say? Tend my sheep. Three times he asks, Three times Peter answers, and three times Jesus responds with the same imperative. Tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. Now, there is tweaking in the wording, but all three times it means the same thing. Okay? Just like you and I, for emphasis, might repeat ourselves three times. We tend to do things in threes, uh, and we might tweak our wording to get the same point across. That is exactly what Jesus does here. He tweaks the wording, okay? What is he saying to Peter, though? If you love me, you will serve me, and you will serve me by serving my people. I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way. You hear people say all the time, I don't have to be part of a church to be a good Christian. I understand the point of that. I really, really do. I also know in certain cases where there is persecution or maybe people are in isolation. I, I get that you can't. But wherever we can, what is the number one reason for associating with the church, for practicing corporate worship, um, for all of that? Why? Well, there's a bunch of benefits. Number one, I grow 
as I rub shoulders with people who are unlike me, it forces me to take on the image of Jesus. Number two, I'm encouraged and I'm challenged by those people that I'm there with. Number three, hey, we can do a whole lot more together than we can in isolation. Lone Ranger Christians don't do well. All those things, we could keep the list going, right? But what's the number one reason? Some people are going to say, because Jesus said to. And that ought to be enough. I agree. He did command us to assemble together, to worship together, to grow and serve together. True. But I would say even more, what's the number one reason? Because this is how we show our love and our service for Jesus. We do it by loving and serving with others, by rendering love and service to others and for others. He says it right here. Pete, if you really love me, Prove it. And you're going to prove it by serving my sheep. Now, this idea of the sheep is old. We're talking about Old Testament stuff, okay? Go way back. I can think of Psalm 100, verse 3. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I can think of Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. I think of Jesus elsewhere referring to us as the sheep and himself as the shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. We know who he's talking about. So that's no mystery. This would have been easy for the disciples to have related to. And us too. We are the sheep, his people. So he's saying to Peter, if you love me, then you're going to do the really hard work of loving me by loving others. Man, that's tough. I mean, it just really is. You know, it's tough. We don't like all these people. Some of these people talk different than me. Some of these people have different perspectives. I'm an Alabama fan. Some of them, I don't know how they do it, but they root for Tennessee. Uh, I'm a guy. Some of them are girls. I'm a middle-aged fellow. Maybe they're so young and, or maybe they're older than me. I'm white. Maybe they're African-American or Asian-American. I've always been in this country. Maybe they immigrated to this country. They may be so different than me. Maybe they have completely different perspectives and ideas. Maybe sometimes we got to agree to disagree. You mean to tell me you mean for me to love you by loving them? And the answer to that question is yes. And the truth is, we're stronger. We're more joyous. Uh, we're far more productive if we love each other that way, despite our differences. And Peter, very soon in his life, is going to be confronted with that. You remember, Peter is one of those that really gets it going with the Gentile Christians. And it was a confrontation of ideals and emotions and experiences for Peter. It was hard. He had overcome some, some baggage, some prejudice, some bad experiences. But he did it because he loves Jesus. There is in Scripture this teaching that we love Jesus by loving others. It's a lot of places, but to me, the strongest place is from the lips of our Lord himself. Matthew chapter 25, the full passage is verses 34 through 46, but I'm going to read just a little bit of it. You'll recall he, Jesus is predicting the judgment and he's describing the judgment, what it's going to be like. And he says, you know, my people are going to be surprised 
at what I'm going to say to them because I'm really going to be pleased with them and I'm going to brag on them and they're not even going to know when they did it. On the other hand, all these people that are self-serving and they think they're good to go, I'm going to pronounce judgment on them and they're not going to understand it because they don't understand when they overlooked me. You remember the analogies that he gave? I was sick. I was in need. I was in prison. I was alone. You came to me. You helped me. You served me. You ministered to me. Lord, when? And do you remember what he says? Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did this ministry, that you served and loved and helped one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. Now, the others, he'll say, look, I, I was in need. I was in prison. I was hurting. I was lonely. And you didn't lift a finger to help me. Oh, Lord, when did we see you like that? We would have helped you. And what does Jesus say? Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus is connecting so strongly himself and his people. If we love him, we will prove it by loving each other. Right? That's how it goes. That is how we prove it. And speaking of proving it, proving it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. For most of us, a lifetime of character etched out in Christ. And that leads me to my third lesson. Love sustains our commitment to Jesus. You remember when we read the story in verse 18, there's a transition point. At some point in time, Jesus and Peter get up and begin walking away from the fire, walking away from the gathering of the disciples so that they're kind of talking privately as they go. Jesus gives Peter this mind-blowing prediction, one that I would never want to receive. I can't imagine how hard this would have been for Peter. This mind-blowing prophecy of how he's going to die. And we know Christian tradition tells us that Peter died hanging upside down on a cross because he didn't feel himself worthy to hang as Jesus did. He was crucified for his faith. So this prophecy comes true. Can you imagine if you were told? I don't want to know. Well, Peter's told. And taken aback by it, he responds. And so you remember, he tells Peter in verse 18 how he's going to die. And then in verse 19, John clarifies that he says this, signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And then all he says to Peter is, follow me. Well, Peter responds, impetuous as ever, in verse 20. Peter turns around, and apparently John is following closely at a distance. And he sees John following them. And so in verse 21, Peter says to Jesus, okay, Lord, I got to do that. I got to pay the ultimate price. What about this man? And before you judge Peter, how many times have we looked around in life and said, well, Lord, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or why does so-and-so have it better than me? I'm a better person. Or why do bad things happen to me when so-and-so's got it so good? We love to look at so-and-so. So what about me? And what about John? Right? We respond the same way. So he looks and he says, okay, well, if that's my future, what's going to happen to John? Well, Jesus responds with a rebuke and a challenge. 
Verse 22, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Stop worrying about what I do with other people. I'm talking about my relationship with you, Peter. You follow me. That, that's tough. That's tough. Let me ask you, what is able to sustain our love, our, or excuse me, our relationship and our service to Jesus? Because let's face it, there are times it's not sustained very well in our lives. We have our ups and downs, our ebbs and our flows. What sustains over the course of our lives, our walk with Jesus and our service for him? Only love. Can you think of some alternatives, though? I would say many people try to sustain their relationship and their service through, for example, habit. I get good habits. I go to church. I do this. I do that. But what happens if you ever break the habit? If all it is for you is a habit, you're going to find that habit hard to hold on to and hard to reinvigorate. Some people do it strictly because of cultural pressure. Maybe it's your family expects you to be a Christian or this group that you're with expects you to be in church and out of pressure you do certain things. Well, that's all well and good as long as you have good peer pressure, but what if the pressure changes? What do you do then? Pressure comes and goes. Culture doesn't know which end is up half the time. There's going to be sway there. That, that can't sustain your relationship or your service. How about this one? Good old-fashioned guilt. Well, if I don't go to church, I'm going to feel bad. If I don't help that person, I'm going to feel bad. If I don't read my Bible a little while or pray today, I'm going to feel bad. Really, that's all you got. But guilt motivates us sometimes. I'm going to feel bad if I don't. Or what are they going to think if I don't? Guilt or shame, fear of regret. None of that is able to sustain our relationship and our service. It won't sustain it. It's just not deep enough, personal enough, powerful enough. The only thing that sustains our walk with Jesus and our service for him throughout a lifetime of ups and downs, good days and bad, joys and hardships, gain and loss, the only thing that sustains it is a heart full of love from Jesus and for Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell Peter. Peter, you're never going to get to that upside down cross if you don't love me. You're never going to follow me throughout your lifetime if you don't love me. And if you do love me the way you just told me three times, you'll follow me. I'm reminded of that famous verse, actually two really, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If you're struggling in your walk with Jesus, can I make a suggestion that not to start with a new habit? Not to start with a new task. Not to start with a new activity. Start by digging deep into your heart. 
getting alone with Jesus, renewing and reinvigorating your love for him. And then find those activities, find those habits, find those actions that stimulate that, that motivate growth in love. If we fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, the following will come because we won't be able to do without him. I, I remember when I first fell in love. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I've said this many times. I have loved one and only one woman in my lifetime. I didn't date a whole lot in high school. I think I was just too big of a dork for that. Um, when I met Angel and I fell in love, that's first one, only one for me. I wouldn't know what it feels like otherwise. And I remember it. I thought about her. I wanted to do things for her. I love sharing our stories of what we did Saturday. or I wanted to be with her. I wanted to spend time with her. That's what love does, doesn't it? I'm the same way today. I'm the same way with my kids, the people I love to be around. The same is true for the Lord. What sustains your marriage, your family, your friendships over time? It's not habit. It's not guilt. It's not fear. It's not pressure. No, it's love. So if you find yourself with a love problem, start there. The other stuff will come. So when he says to Peter, follow me, the point is, if you love me, you're going to stay with me. And Peter does. He becomes that rock that Jesus always predicted he would be. He goes to this death, Jesus predicted in verse 18. I don't know what your future and mine may hold. I don't know what end we're moving to. But I do know that if we love him, he is asking us to, to follow him. And I pray that you will. Would you bow with me for just a moment? Father, thank you for the chance to revisit this famous story. Thank you for helping us get centered or maybe re-centered today. If there's anyone here that has never entered that love relationship with you, I pray they'll make an altar wherever they are, that they'll turn from their sin, place their faith in Jesus, and begin that love relationship with you right now, today. And for those that know you, if there's a struggle, if there's a hurt, if there's something that's in the middle, if there's a love problem like we talked about today, then may something I've said, something in this short passage of Scripture, may that stimulate that person coming back close to you. And may you help them on their way to, to love you like never before. Even today, we're in difficult circumstances. This is different the way we're worshiping today, Lord. Our world is just kind of still <laughs> not back to normal. We pray again, you'll sustain us with love. Most of all, I just want to say thank you for your love. As the scripture says, we didn't love you. You first loved us so much that you sent Jesus for us. Thank you. We love you for it and help us to grow in your love. In Jesus name I pray. Amen.